0: Alright guys, welcome to today's show, and joining me on the show today is Jacob Coons. Now he's been on the show before, he's been on the Nomadic Outdoorsman before, and he's a guy who is just a wealth of information, especially when it comes to planning out your trips, to being meticulous and not forgetting the small details, really honing in what gear you need to take out, what steps you should be taking months in advance, weeks in advance, the day before, and I'm just really excited to chat with him again About what he's doing for these last minute preparations now that we're only, gosh, weeks out at this point. I mean, I guess you could still say months, but it's really not that many. So I'm pumped for this one. Hopefully, you guys are too. Let's jump in. You're listening to the Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way.
1: It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect.
0: If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. At this point in the year, we've all got a pretty good idea of where we're gonna be hunting this fall. But now what? If you're anything like me, scouting just got moved to the top of your priority list. Luckily, Vortex has a wide variety of spotting scopes, tripods, and binoculars to get the job done right. I'm gonna be spending the rest of my summer behind my Fury 5000 binoculars or getting an up-close look with my Razor HD spotting scope. So, if you want to spend the rest of your summer setting yourself up for success this fall, whether that's in the woods of Missouri or the mountains of Colorado, check out what's new from Vortex at vortexoptics.com and head to your favorite Vortex dealer to make sure you're ready for everything fall can throw at you. All right, guys, welcome to today's show and joining me back for, I guess, the first time on the, no, this is the second time on the Western rookie. That's I'm right. trying to think. Yeah, I, I get so back and forth with which show, who's been on. And, uh, Jacob Coons is joining me again. And he's actually on the road right now, heading up to the boundary waters, which is a great thing to be doing while podcasting. I must say, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm sitting inside a room with no awesome plans like that.
1: Yeah. You know, Dan, I, um, I'm tra- I'm actually in Illinois right now, and I had done this sort of uh, impromptu trip, and uh, I'm traveling with an 80-pound kayak that may or may not be good for boundary water fishing and travel. Like everybody has a canoe, I'm going with a kayak. But hey, um, and you know what's interesting is I know on our, the last time we spoke, we talked a lot about the planning, you know, the objective and the planning and the systems that you have for a Western elk hunt and how important it is to, to have those things because, you know, our time is so limited, especially for those of us that are Western rookies. I, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm definitely a Western rookie still, but especially for those of us that are East of the Mississippi, we have such limited time. And uh, so I've been, I, I've been doing a lot of that planning piece for this trip and a lot of research to understand what's the exact gear that I need. Cause you know, you're, I'll be, I'll be on a kayak. It's, you know, you're portaging from one leg to another. It's me and my son. And I, I, if you, if you pack all your fears, you're going to end up with 150 pounds of gear and you're going to sink your kayak <laughs> or whatever. And, uh, and so you really have to determine like what is absolutely necessary and, and, and what is maybe uh, a nice to uh, nice to have, not a need to have. So, it's been a lot of fun, and, and hopefully this kayak doesn't fly off uh, the top of the roof of my Subaru while, while, we're, while we're talking. But it's been a lot of fun because, you know, I'm dialing in, you know, my water system. We've got the dehydrated meals, and I'm trying to plan for whether we catch fish or not catch fish uh, because I'm not the best fisherman in the world. And I'm using my, uh, my Kuyu pack that I've used for Western Elk Hunt. I'm using that for, for most of our gear. And I've got my, you know, amazingly, a lot of my gear for Western hunts is, you know, having a sort of a a sort of duplicatus in the sense that I've got my two man tents. We've got my jet boil. We've got uh, all these other things that I might take on a Western hunt we're going to be doing in the boundary waters up near the border of Canada. So should be a lot of fun and uh, looks like the weather is going to cooperate. So fingers crossed.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. What uh, what are you guys planning on fishing for?
1: That's a great question. I, you know, I live in Kentucky, and I was raised on catching bluegill and crappie and, and largemouth bass. And so, in the boundary waters, uh, walleye is is a is a big one, and trout, lake trout is a big one. And then they have these northerns, and they do have smallmouth bass, and of course they have sunfish as well, but. I've really tried to do a little bit of research on on the pike and the walleye because yeah. that is really outside of my scope of uh of of experience. So I'm hoping that um uh, what I've learned on YouTube and podcasts and all that stuff will help me help us catch a couple of trout and a couple of walleye. But um we'll, we'll catch just about anything that bites our bait. So nice.
0: we're
1: we're we're not we're not gonna be too picky at today.
0: Well, man, that sounds like an awesome trip. I grew up pike and walleye fishing. I mean, that was our bread and butter. We didn't do a lot of pan fishing. We didn't do a lot of bass fishing. I mean, it was pike, walleye, and then muskie whenever we would get one to bite, but that that was few and far between. Um, I would say this time of year, we typically went with a a green, glittery, worm a uh, green glittery flat tail worm with an orange tail trolling for for walleye i mean that was like it seemed like every year mid early to mid summer they just hit that nonstop. and so uh, we would do that but really pike and walleye will bite on almost anything you throw out there leeches night crawlers spoons poppers you name it i'm sure you'll catch a couple
1: so it's funny you mentioned those, those combination of baits, because I went to Cabela's and Academy and bought just droves or just uh, shelves of, of gear like that. Because, you know, I'm like, I want to make sure I have one of everything. Cause you just, you know how it is with fishing. You feel like you, well, what if they're not biting on this? What if they're biting on something that's red or something that's black or something that's green or pink? So I'm ready for anything. I mean, if they, if they find uh, you know, that the, I could catch a shark, you know, up there. I I could probably, uh, I probably have a bait for it. So
0: nice. <laughs> it's, it, it'll be fun. Have you, have you been to the boundary waters before or is this trip number one?
1: No, this is trip number one. And it, it's, it's interesting because it reminds me of some of the first times that I, you know, the really the first time I went out West where you know, this, I know on the other side, I'm going to be different. And I know that sounds sort of like, like really like a weird statement, but like when you do something that's outside of your comfort zone and you know, and you're like, okay, I don't know how this is going to go. And it might be a little scary. And, you know, know, what if, what happens if we capsize and what happens if it gets windy, what happens if there's no campgrounds for us? And, and I want to make sure my son is, is comfortable and well-fed. And so when you do something a little like that, and if if any of your folks, any of your audience is going out West for the first time, I'm sure they have a lot of these fears like, okay, what if this happens? Or what if, you know, if they're hunting in grizzly country, how do I handle a bear, you know, a bear situation? So it's my first time, but I'm really glad we're doing it because I think on the other side, it's going to be a fantastic adventure. And I think my son and I will have some incredible experiences, even if it's you know, even if it's a terrible experience, we'll have great memories to talk about.
0: Yeah, that's I, I'm excited to hear how it goes, see what you catch, what you caught them on. And then like you said, the memories. That's that's priceless. Uh how about how about Western hunting this year? Have you gotten your draw results back? Do you know if if yeah. you got any big tags?
1: Yeah, you know. I am going to, that's going to be a little bit of a, on a hiatus. Uh, I I was planning on doing a, uh, just a over the counter pronghorn hunt in Colorado with, with my son and, um, and been doing a lot of research for that, but, you know, my kids are are good with their bows, but they're just not, you know, great when you get out to, to 30, 40, and, you know, even 50 yards which is really what you need to be if you're going to hunt pronghorn on the ground. And, and, you know, even like, if you're hunting from a, a, you know, a blind over a water hole, you you really want to be super tuned in because they they are, they're super spooky. And so that's where I pivoted to this. So I think honestly, Dan, for the next two years, it's going to be something like this Uh, next year, my daughter, assuming this trip goes well, my daughter and I will go, come back up to the boundary waters and have this sort of experience. And then when I get into 2024, I think is where we'll get back to doing some Western hunts. And I've been, you know, I've been mapping out my points for every state for a long time. And I've sort of projected out where I could hunt, you know, it might be Arizona this, this one year, and then Colorado this next year, and then uh, Wyoming a certain year, um, and then, you know, back at Montana, but, but then again, Dan, I mean, you know, the, the ticket or no, the ticket, uh, the, uh, the tag situation in those States is, is evolving and changing, especially when you look at elk, the popularity of elk hunting has, has just boomed the, you know, I mentioned I'm going to the boundary waters and I used YouTube and podcasts to get my information yeah. and and everybody else is doing that same thing. And uh, for, and in, in, you know, elk is, is really, you know, blown up as we've seen. And so I do have a little bit of concern for the states of, you know, the future of, you know, elk hunting opportunities, whether it's for me or for my kids, because, you know, the, the tag prices are gonna continue to raise. There's a, you know, the guides and outfitters, and, and no offense to any guide or outfitter that's listening, but they want a bigger piece of that pie. If yep. you look at what Montana was going through and, and you know, so Wyoming, I think is maybe looking at doing some tag allocation with guides and outfitters and they want a part of that pie. And it's, a, you know, there's a lot of dollars going into this and, and, you know, that's just the way the world works, unfortunately. So I think, you know, for, for those that are listening, if you're going this year, put all your chips on the table, do everything you can do, don't take it, this opportunity for granted because you may get an elk tag in another state at another time, but you may not get to hunt elk in this particular zone or unit that you were, you know, that you're prospectively hunting this year because more people want to do it. It's become popular, and the, and so there's just a longer uh, line of people um, in different states, and so it's becoming more of a challenge. But, but you know, what about you, Dan? What what, what
0: do you have on the books? So I've got a bunch of different hunts going on this fall um i feel like weekly it almost changes i know last we talked we were talking uh, it was very heavily about planning and i feel like i've done a pretty good job planning my hunts this year and then things pop up left and right and i'm like man i don't want to say no to that that sounds like a lot of fun so starting off uh i'll be out in utah hunting uh actually tagging along on a hunt with my friend Linnea for mule deer um from there whitetail seasons are opening up i'll probably make another trip back down to texas and i might try to go after um a couple exotics down there with my bow those are the types of trips that fortunately i've got the connections down there where i can plan them somewhat last minute and still have lodging and and be able to go out with them um there's been talk of April doing South Africa. Uh, we, I've now gotten two invites to South Africa, and that is way more intimidating to me than any Western hunts that I've done so far. But late October, early November will be Second Rifle Elk in Colorado again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have my Wisconsin rifle season in late November, the week of Thanksgiving and lots of waterfowl hunts i just got draw results this morning actually so i went frog gigging last night woke up after getting a couple hours of sleep and on my phone it i had an alert about the draw results that they were in for missouri bear and uh, elk both unsuccessful so at this point i don't think i'm waiting to find out on any other tags wait that's not true main moose that's one more and that one is probably going to be unsuccessful also.
1: Well, I mean hats off to you for putting at least, you know, putting in for those things and and I mean, sounds like you're going to have an awesome season uh even if you whether you go to South Africa or not. Uh the Texas thing sounds pretty amazing. The mule deer in Utah, that's I think that's going to be an awesome trip just to to your point just to tag along on.
0: Yeah, I know I'm going to be kicking myself already because I had the option to put in and, uh, where, where she put in for, it was very high draw results. I mean, like a lot of people get it with zero points. If you have one point, you're almost guaranteed to get it. And I was like, you know what, this is her first hunt. I really want it to like, really want to focus on her getting after an animal, having close encounters, doing awesome stocks, like letting her experience the full the full hunt. And I didn't want to take away from that by like going off on my own stock while, you know, she's pursuing something. And now yeah. I'm like, man, we're going to be on the road full time. At that point, we can be out there basically the entire season. And if she gets one early, I'm going to just be kicking myself for not getting a tag and trying to get one myself. But I'm I, I can live with that. I can live with that choice at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, at least at the very least, you'll be able to take back some, a lot of scouting intel. And, yeah, um, uh, we, we recently went on a family trip out to the Rocky mountain national park and, and I had, and I even thought about packaging in some scouting for pronghorn. Cause I, like I said, I thought we might go do that. We never did, but at the very, you know, when you do those sorts of things, like you get, you know, it creates, um, efficiencies within your logistics right like so yeah. the next time if you do ever draw that mule deer tag in that, that particular unit i mean you're gonna be light years ahead of anybody else that that would be new to that
0: yeah yeah i'm excited though this will be this will be a first for me i have not even been on an archery hunt out west everything has been rifle at this point i haven't tagged along on any archery or anything so um i'm excited to learn uh, I've got some good friends out in that area, Nevada, Utah, they hunt both states quite a bit. And so they're, they're sending me information constantly. Um, hopefully they're going to give us some details on some big bucks that they've seen out there that we can go after. Um, but one thing that I am really excited about is getting this motor home because I, we've been bouncing around from place to place for a while put an offer in, we're under contract on 10 acres here. Now it doesn't look like that's gonna happen. Um, so life has been changing, but I'm excited to have the motor home and have all of my gear like set up in storage for my waterfowl hunts, for my fishing trips, for fly fishing, for for big game hunting and just have it all finally organized because it's been chaos lately, bouncing around from place to place.
1: Oh, I bet that's awesome. That that'll be that'll be a really cool adventure for you and your family. I look forward to hearing more about that when you guys, uh, you know, start down that road with, with the camper and everything.
0: Yeah. Um, what I know, last we had talked, you were publishing a couple different things, and one of them was the basically I. I I don't know the official title of this actually, but it was basically the, a wedding guide for Western hunting.
1: Yeah. You know, when we spoke last time and I would encourage anybody that's listening to to, to go back to that episode um, when you and I spoke and, and at that particular point in time, it was, it was like, okay, elk season is six months from now. So what are the things that we need to be thinking of? Because back then, and it might've been January or February, it was like, what is, you know, six months can fly by for one because of turkey season and shed season and, and, you know, fishing trips or, or vacations, you know, with your family and all that stuff. And so six months can fly by. So what can we do now? Cause we were, you know, back on that previous episode, we were talking about a hypothetical. that you and I are going to Elk in Colorado in an OTC area. And, you know, some of the things that we had talked about were, uh, what is the objective? You know, what is your objective and what's my objective? We both have tags and how does that coalesce or does it coalesce? And, and, and even within that, those that have been in, in the business world at any point for any amount of time, you've always heard about smart objectives. Like, is it uh, specific, is it measurable? Is it attainable? Is it realistic? Is it time bound? And so you had said, Hey, you know, you should consider putting a wedding planner together for those that are moving, you know, that are going to go on a Western elk hunt. And and, and I, and I did that and I put some, some real thought around it. And so I put together that the Western elk hunt uh, planner, it's on amazon.com and, and, and what it does is it walks through some of those steps because again, as you know, not to read, not to redo that conversation, but if my objective is to, you know, shoot an elk and, and let's just use some of the SMART acronym, you know, specific. I want to shoot an elk at 55 yards or in with my compound bow. Um, you know, I have to ask myself, you know, can I do that? Am I, am I really, or is my real effective range only 35 yards or 40 yards? So we sort of go through that within in the context of the book. And we talked about a lot of that in the podcast. And then you and I ta- also talked about, sort of the, the plan, what's the, what is the exact plan and really coming up with a day-to-day plan, both from a, in a, you know, outlaying it in my mapping system. Uh, You know, I plan on hiking five miles on day one or 10 miles on day one. And these are the entry points. And then also putting that on a spreadsheet so that you really can know exactly what your plan is on a day-to-day basis. You're not sort of coming up with things out of thin air and then you have alternate plans. And then the last thing you and I were talking about were the systems. Because when you're out there, time goes so fast that if you don't have a system for your water or your food or uh, some of the other, even some of the elk calling uh, things, uh, you know, some of the ways that you might engage a herd of elk, you need to know how you're going to handle that before you get there. Because otherwise you're going to be you're going to lose time or you're going to waste time. And so, so yeah, that I have published on, on, uh, on Amazon. I'm very proud of it. I've put a lot of energy and effort behind it. I've also published a couple of other books for, for Eastern elk hunting. I won't really dive into those, but, but I'm all, you know, I'm very proud of that stuff because um, I put myself in the shoes of someone that, you know, or of myself where I, it was my first time, what, what were some of the questions I was looking for? There's all sorts of information on, on YouTube and podcasts, as you know, Dan. But is it, you know, but piecing it all together and getting all the answers in one spot is very difficult. So, so that's really was the impetus behind the Hunt Planner to really help someone come up with a laser focus around their hunt so that they can maximize their time when they're when they're out in a Western state.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a great resource for anybody. I mean, to, to have those checklists, to have those things in place where you know exactly what you're doing before you get there, you know, when plan a fails, what you're going to go to as a backup where you're planning on camping. I mean, that was one thing that I know we had talked about, uh, last time was what do you do if on day one, you get out there and you realize there's so many hunters in your, your spot that you wanted to hunt and you don't have a backup like you're in trouble if you don't have a place to go on day two or day three or day four or day five you might have a miserable hunt and that's going to be an expensive trip that might ruin you for wanting to go out in future trips one thing when I first started elk hunting I was fortunate to be going out with guys who were seasoned they had hunted this unit for years and years I mean they had picked this place apart really figured the elk out there And so going out there, I mean, I was flying blind. I was just trying to learn as much as I could from them beforehand. You know, what rifle system do I need to bring out there? Do I need a new one or is what I have, does what I have work for the terrain we're going to be hunting, the distance we're going to be shooting, um, figuring out the tent situation and boots and camouflage and layering. And now it's really cool because me and my hunting buddies that I go to elk camp with now When I get on the phone with them, we're talking about the exact drainage and what point or finger coming down into the drainage we're going to camp near. Yeah. What day of the week are we going to do that? We're getting out there two days early. We'll set up camp. Uh, The first day we get there, go out and scout for the last two hours. The whole next day is scouting, um, helping other people get set up as they arrive. And then it's like, all right, day one, we're going back down this two track we're dropping down this exact finger. We're setting up camp there and, and we're hunting from there. And so I love the idea of the plan and the backup plan and knowing exactly what you're doing so that it's not the last minute scramble when you're actually meeting up, maybe for the first time, seeing those buddies in a long time or on the drive out to a spot saying, Hey, so where do you plan on hunting day one? Uh, that's unnerving to me now.
1: And I think what you've done there, and I think that this is what your listeners should be doing, you know, is it's the mental, it's now a pivot into the mental and the tactical prep. So, you know, we're six weeks out and I need to start visualizing specific scenarios and whether it's to your point, different, you know, pathways or, you know, trails or where we're going to camp and where we're going to do this. But I need to, and I remember, you know, a number of years ago when I was, I was hunting uh, pronghorn and there was a nice buck and it was, there was, he was, he had a harem of, of, uh, I guess does, uh, with him and, uh, and they had sort of shifted off into an area on another side of a ridge. And I was able, it allowed me to sort of come in behind them. And they bedded down on the opposite side of a ridge. But I and and but I had this was my first time hunting pronghorn, and I had sort of envisioned one scenario. Like I envisioned one scenario of how this was gonna play out. I had a decoy, I was gonna pop up that decoy, and that that buck was gonna charge the decoy and I was gonna sling an arrow in him. And the truth is, Dan, is that I wasn't prepared for all the other scenarios. I didn't, I hadn't visualized it. I hadn't shot my bow from my knees. I hadn't, um, wait, what, what happened was he actually, he bedded down along with the does on the opposite side of the ridge. I, I looked over, I could see some of the, the does. They were facing all different sorts of ways. And I saw the buck and he was facing away from me and he was probably 45, 50 yards. And, and I had that, um, the decoy in my hands. And, and I thought, well, somehow I got to get him to charge. <laughs> and and that and and was a dumb, I mean, it was, I mean, it's laughable now. And it's like, no, you dummy, you grab your bow and you stand up and you put an arrow in it. And, but in my mind, I hadn't played out that moment of truth. So the, you know, now is the moment. Now's the time for, everyone to, to really um, in visualize different scenarios as that bull is coming in. You want to shoot you know, from your knees. You want to shoot your bow with some sort of obstruction in front of the target so you understand the arc of your arrow. You want to walk around the, the range or just throw the target out and guess the range so that you aren't using your range finder as a crutch because those are the things that are going to happen and you're going to have a half second to get a shot off. It's not going to be, you know, five or 10 seconds. It's going to be a half a second, but you have to be ready to kill every second. Like it's, it happens every second that there's might be an opportunity, but that's, that opportunity is only going to last for a half a second. And yeah. so I think that's where that, that mental, this is where that mental prep comes into play so that when you get the moment of truth, you don't be like, oh, wow, this is really happening. Oh wow, that, that just happened. You don't want to to be surprised. You know when you and I, uh, Dan, were playing out on the last podcast about the ninety percent elk hunter versus the ten percenter. The ten percenter has prepared in such a way that they are expecting success. Yep they they are not um, they are not surprised by it, and so again, this is that opportunity where you, that you prepared so much that when that, that bull comes in, you're not like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. You're like, yeah, this is happening. And I've planned it this way. and, And this is a dead, a dead bull, you know, it's, it's the really, it's a really fine line, but it all, all that confidence and all that prep is so critical right now that, um, You know, for those that are going to have that opportunity to hunt out west, it's you really got to hone it in so you don't miss, miss that opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I love the I love the mental space aspect of it, like just getting it in your head that I'm going out there and I'm going to make this happen, because I think in addition to having all of the different scenarios running through your head, being prepared for shooting from your knees over a branch, you know, having to having to stalk around a tree and, you know, estimate the range instead of using your range finder. I think in addition to all of that, when you are expecting success, you're just more tuned in. You're you're more focused. You're more aware of your surroundings. Like you said, you're not surprised when all of a sudden elk shows up and you didn't know there was one there because you're expecting it. And I find myself doing that, in the deer woods all the time sitting in my tree sand and I'm visualizing okay like this is what's going to happen if a buck walks hops over the fence line to my left and steps out into the bean field I know that that plant right there or that tree if he crosses there is at 32 yards or if it's coming straight on at me the wind's blowing left to right for me so he's gonna have to be to my right directly down the fence line, or he's not going to win me. And I'll, I'll be able to get away with some movement. And once I start actually visualizing this happening, I mean, like I, I'm literally daydreaming about deer doing these different scenarios and it gets me, it gets me out of that lethargic state of just sitting in the tree sand, hoping and wanting. And now I'm actively hunting and I'm glassing harder and I'm, you know, moving slower And I think even just shifting your mindset to from expecting failure and hoping for success to expecting success and going to be surprised by failure, you're going to just be more in tune with what's going on. And you're probably going to have better success when that moment of opportunity arises.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, um you know, we all have, we all remember, maybe remember the first time we, um, uh, we saw a buck when we were in a tree stand, when we were younger and it was a surprise. It was like, oh my gosh, this is a,
0: I, I can they're see real. It,
1: they're real and it's a ghost. And, and what do I do? Oh, I'll never forget. I grunted, uh, a buck in when I was like, uh, maybe 14 and he came charging in and I was totally unprepared. I was, you know, I had, um, this was a new spot. It wasn't like a stand that we had ever hunted. It was, it was, it was a, but it was a complete surprise. I did not have an arrow knocked. He came in, I, he presented a great shot and then he left and I never got a shot off and I never, you know, and, and so if you can remember those experiences, you know, those that are listening like that, that's can happen. But the other piece of it is that you, you've never been to this area before. And you're constantly covering ground and there's the window, the windows of opportunity are shifting with every time you take a step. So again, you have to be completely prepared for to be uncomfortable and to, to not be ready, but to be ready for that every single second for that half second opportunity, because otherwise you're just going to be holding your bow. You know, like I did when I was 14 and be like, man, that was amazing. Next time I hope I get a shot off, you know? (laughs) So So I think, you know, really that that's where it's, that's the biggest opportunity, you know, as we pivot from, you know, objective and planning and systems is like that mental prep. And like we we talked about sort of that shooting, you know, I think the other piece is, is some of the, the tactical prep. It's, it's sort of the, you know, looking at, um, I'll give you an example, um, we know I, I, any type of research will tell you that like Montana, for example, they're having a very wet year. Um, I, have you seen what's going on in uh, in Yellowstone, Dan.
0: Oh yeah. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. So, so really, you know, from, from that standpoint, we know that, um, you know, cows are, you know, attracted to the best food and the bulls are attracted to the cows and having a wet year in Montana suggests that, you know, the, the elk don't necessi- necessarily need to be down low. There's going to be a, wa- a lot of water, you know, at, at these higher levels, you know, the, the moisture content is going to be uh, greater at different, higher levels. And so the food might be pretty good at higher levels. So you may want to start thinking about, like, if I'm going to Montana and I know that this particular region has been hit, you know, with a lot of moisture and a lot of rain, you know, where those elk are going to be, it might vary where they were last year. Last year was a very dry year. So, you know, they may have had to have been sort of maybe lower in the landscape to, to water because they have to water, you know, every day. Yeah. So, you know, it's really starting to think about some of those tactical things from, you know, I've started to scout different areas, but where could the elk be as it relates to environmental factors um that that are happening in this in this exact moment or in august as you get close
0: yeah i mean i totally agree with that and the weather plays a big part especially with there's there's a lot of people that love to hunt wallows for elk with their bow you know they're checking wallows well in a year like this in montana Maybe in the past, there was like one or two really good wallows that you were used to going and checking, and that was like where you put all your cards. Uh, wh- were those? Well, now there might be wallows all over the place, all over. You know, every mountainside's going to have them with the amount of rain they're getting. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And so now instead of just sitting over this one watering hole or this spot that you're used to seeing elk, you, you need to have those backup plans and say, hey, I need to be more mobile. I can't just do a hang and hunt set over this one watering hole. Or and, and that plays into all animals. I mean, every animal needs water. And so if you're going out west, playing the water is always something that you need to have in mind, even if it's not your number one priority. So that makes perfect sense. Knowing where you're going and making sure you're paying attention to the weather patterns, to the environmental effects to you know fires to droughts to floods way ahead of time so that you know hey these these animals may have shifted quite a bit from their normal travel pattern
1: yeah so i mean you know speaking of water levels i mean if you have a a zone or a unit that where you're crossing a river or you know a creek maybe that creek was something that was easily crossable but maybe when you're there it's now a river or now a larger water system. So that's something that you're gonna wanna uh, evaluate. And then uh, you, know, you could talk to you know, maybe the local, local. Um, if you have a local contact in a particular area, you could get a sense of that. I know locally, I'll look at the flow rate of different creek systems uh, around my house. And so if you're able to find that information, like a flow rate of different systems that are in a unit that you're hunting, can give you a sense of what, how, how deep or how treacherous that water might be, uh, because of, uh, because of the, you know, the amount of water that they've received. The other thing is, uh, you know, what you mentioned, Western fires, uh, web, I N C I W E B is a website that tracks Western fires. And it's something that you can use as a tool to see if, uh, if your unit or zone is under, under threat of a Western fire, especially as you get into, you know, late July and and August, uh, obviously as you get closer to that, your hunt day.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, that's something being from the Midwest. I just never thought about like wildfires were not something, especially in Wisconsin growing up. We just, I don't remember ever hearing about them. And so to be going out there and hearing not only for the year that you're going out and hunting, having to avoid certain units, Um, but also using that to your advantage for future years. There's a lot of people who swear by hunting burns two years after the burn. Or if you're into shed hunting, going and finding uh mule deer and elk sheds in a burn area and they glow like they're on like a glow stick, you know. Um you can you can use all like all information is valuable and you can use it to your advantage. Even though it might be bad information, bad information at the right time is going to save you a lot of hard work down the road. If you find out, hey, we can't be hunting this unit, we can't cross that creek or that river because now it's at flood level and we can't get in there. Even though it's bad news for you, knowing it at the right time is going could potentially save your hunt or at least save a full day or two on your hunt.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, I think the other thing, you know, some of the other things that come to mind, Dan is, uh, you know, what are, I mean, we talked about what are your backup plans? If you have a lot of people at trailhead, but you know, what are your emergency plans as it relates to where, what's the nearest hospital and do you have their phone number? Uh, Have you shared your exact locations with your spouse and you know, or somewhat, you know, key individuals at home. And, you know, we're talking about archery elk hunting. Do you have a bow press, a portable bow press? Because you're not going to be able to hit a bow shop, you know, nearby and get anything accomplished within the short time frame that you're there. So do you have extra cables and strings? If you have a portable bow press, you'll be able to replace a cable or string if it's damaged uh, or take a backup bow. Um, you know, those are, you need to, you know, your Allen wrench sets and all of those things that you need to contingency plans. What about your vehicle? Is your spare tire, does it have air in it? Do you have, you know, tools if you need to do some additional, you know, some sort of work on your, your vehicle, you know, those are things that can be mission critical, but we don't often think of those things because they're, it's not like, oh, this is, doesn't have necessarily to do anything with, with directly hunting. Uh it's it's sort of the, the other stuff that can get in the way if you don't plan accordingly.
0: Yeah, and I mean I've seen firsthand what those preparations for emergencies or things that you're not necessarily expecting, but you can still plan for. This last year we were hunting this unit and I took several guys out to Colorado who had never hunted before. I thought, okay, I've seen elk in this unit before. I've never actually hunted it, but I've got a decent idea of where I think we could find some. And we relied heavily on a side-by-side for like our main travel for the day. We'd get to a spot where we'd drop a pair of people off at one spot and they'd, you know, work a drainage or, or glass for a while. Well, there was the belt broke on the side-by-side and we're like, oh crap. Well, luckily we had towing chains, we had a whole tool set, and we actually had a spare belt in the side by side. And so we towed it back to camp. It took us a couple hours to change it out, you know, on top of a mountain with flashlights and headlamps, but we actually got it done and we were able to use the side by side for the last three days of the hunt. Whereas had we not done that now we're taking a drive 45 minutes To the closest automotive store hoping that they've got a belt for that specific side by side or that size belt and you know that could have just taken away from i mean we didn't get an elk on that trip unfortunately um and i had to leave early on that trip but it's like what if that day we had gotten elk because we still had access to the side by side and had we not we would have been scrambling to try to figure out how to fix it yeah yeah,
1: it's, it's, uh, it, it, it is, you have to think of so many different scenarios. I mean, when we, you know, when, when I killed a bull in Montana, we, um, I, thankfully I had packed contractor bags, uh, and cause we had, um, you know, it was pretty far back where this, you know, where the bull was where we had shot him and, and, we, my dad was having a hard time. It was, he's in his six, mid sixties and we got him up the hill and he wanted to be the butcher. So he butchered the elk and, but we didn't pack any of it out and we let it cool overnight, but we weren't going to be able to pack it all out the next day either. Cause it was my, just my brother and I. And so we were like, how do we get this cool? Well, I had those contractor bags and I was able to, we found a Creek and I was able to submerge them. I had some zip ties. And so it you know, it cooled that meat to, you know, almost frozen. And it was, I was like, so thankful that I had just thought about that little thing, because otherwise that meat would have sat out for another full day. And, you know, granted it's September, but it was getting, you know, it would get really warm. And I, and I really, you know, if you can get it into a Creek after it's cooled down, so it doesn't create condensation in the bag, you know, that's just another thing. And so to your point, like, you know, with your side by side, you know, scenario, like if you think about all those different things that can happen, uh, it, it can really ensure that you have a great trip and, and, and you can sort of focus on the hunt and not uh, be like, crap, I got to spend, you know, a day and a half, you know, trying to, to find something to fix, you, you know, the side by side or I've got some spoiled meat because I didn't think of, you know, a scenario where I'd have to, you know, use a Creek to, you know, to keep the meat cool or whatever. So, you know, so the, the cool thing is Dan is when, our, when we had our first podcast a couple months ago, you know, you were the 10 percenter and I was the 90 percenter. I just wanted to go with, you know, steak and beer and just have a good, have a good time. And you were like, Jacob, you know, that's not how this is going to go. We got to, we got to hunt like a 10 percenter. so you've converted me, Dan. So I appreciate that because <laughs> I, I am, you know, looking forward to our hypothetical Colorado elk hunt, uh, with a, with a
0: bow. Hey man, I, I love going and having a good time in the outdoors with my buddies, but even more than that, I love going and having a great time. And yeah. that means doing all those same things. But after you have spent the day packing out an elk or a mule deer or bear mountain lion or antelope or whatever that looks like, like the camaraderie, the having fun is amazing. But my wife would be a lot less likely to say, hey, yeah, go ahead, go on another trip, go on another trip. If all I was doing is going and drinking and having a barbecue out of state for nine days with my buddies. Amen to that. I. I I'm in
1: sales and one, there's a phrase that says a sale doesn't have, or a relationship doesn't begin until a sale is made. And so, and and what that means is a lot of people go into sales and they think, oh, well, I'll just, you know, be super nice and funny. And, you know, and then, and that's how I'll generate sales. And it's just not really how it works. I mean, you really, um, there's no relationship until I get someone to sign the line that is dotted. Yeah. And then there's, and then there's a relationship and cause, but sometimes people flip it. And so they flip it the other way where it's like, oh, I'll do re- heavy relationship. And then the sale will come and it just never comes. And so when I think about this, you know, when you're hunting, you're doing a big trip with like, with, like you've talked about going to Texas or, you know, South Africa or whatever, those things, you're going to have a great time. But if you really focus on the, the real core objective, you're going to have an amazing time, you know, yeah. when you when you punch when you punch your tag, all that camaraderie stuff is going to be there. It's just you're going to also have, you know, some tenderloins or some backstraps to grill in addition to that.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, it's there's a lot of work involved in it. And, and that's what people have to understand. Like when it comes to a big Western trip, the hard work isn't just on the mountain. It's not just once you pull the trigger or let the arrow fly. There's a lot of hard work going into it and this preparation side of it. It's monotonous. And for some people, this is the hardest part of it. They're great with the physical. They're great going in there and getting the job done. But actually planning out the details and making sure that they have everything they need. They're not forgetting a fire starter or a jet boil or a headlamp. They have all of it in place because they did... In their mind what's the hard part which is planning and i know you and i had talked a little bit before we started recording and i'm like i feel like there's a couple different camps when it comes to the planning side of it there's the people who are like dang we only have six months left like we're about to the the hunt's about to be here like it's getting close and then there's the other people and i've been in this boat in multiple situations where it's like oh man we don't leave till next Friday. Like I still have, you know, six days (laughs) to figure this out, you know, and I'll tell you, there's just a weight off your shoulders. You can really enjoy it knowing that you've got everything set up. All of your, you know, your tote full of gear is packed. Your, your backpacks set, you've got your, your spike camp set up already together and you know what you're eating, you know, who's bringing the firewood, you know, who, um, how much gas you're going to use, you know, like all of it is taken care of. You can go into it and then you can have an even better time not being upset with yourself for forgetting things or not planning ahead.
1: Yeah. And, and, and for those that are still listening, you know, I, I have made the week of July 25th through the 29th, the Western Oak hunt planner that I've put together on Amazon is going to be free. So for, for anybody that's listening to this, if you wait, you know, put that on your calendar and you feel like, Hey, I'm not a great planner. Something like this would be helpful. Then it's free. Um, uh, you know, th- that week and, uh, you know, download it and give me some feedback, you know, let me know what you, what's, what's missing, what I could add to it. Uh, you know, if it, if it's garbage <laughs> or whatever, I'm open <laughs> to any and all feedback, but cause I, I, I tend to be, like you said, the guy that's like, Oh my gosh, we only have six months. Uh, as you can tell, you know, I'm constantly trying to plan for all the other alternatives because I, again, you know, time is so precious. It's the one thing that no matter how, you know, no one can give you back any time. you know, for those that are maybe not great planners, you know, I, I tend to be on the, 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 the spectrum of, you know, I've only have one year to plan or only have six months. So I tend to overplan, but those that are not great planners, I, I want to, you know, invite them to download the book for free. The Western elk hunter, uh, elk trip planner for on Amazon, the week of July 25th uh, for, for five days, it's going to be available free. So hopefully those that are interested can check out the book, download it. And, uh, give me some feedback, what you think, if you like it, you don't like it, if there's any, anything I can add to it, I appreciate any and all feedback.
0: Nice, man. That's, that's super awesome. Like people, <laughs> hopefully people hear this episode and they're like, no, I need to be planning before that. And then jump on and, and get it right away. But yeah, for those that, that hear this around that time frame, like hop on, get the planner. I know I'm going to be hopping on once we're off the call. And getting my copy because there's always more that I could be doing. And I'll say this for anybody who has a significant other that may not be fully on board with out of state trips or big hunting trips or things that take you away from the family, if you can give them a schedule at the beginning of the year or give them a proposal of, hey, I'd really like to go out in October and chase mule deer. If you tell them that eight months ahead of time, odds are it's gonna go a lot better than if you're waiting until late summer and saying, hey, do you mind if I leave for nine days and and go with my buddies to chase animals in the mountains? Um, So even if it means there's a little bit better possibility of you getting a yes, it's worth it.
1: Everything in this, most every
0: relationship that we have
1: with whether it's our spouse or friends or kids it's all about expectations and you know I was you know I've had conversations with different people over the past few days and and I, I tend to ask them a lot of questions because I'm trying to establish and understand their expectations and to your point Dan if you help set the expectations for your spouse you know of what you're trying to accomplish then things go a lot smoother than if, um, that if you spring it on somebody, it's, it's, a, it's all about expectations. And, uh, but I won't, you know, I won't dive down that rabbit hole, but you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a balancing act. And I mean, everything in life is competing for our time. And so the more you can manage it, the more you can set yourself up for success by planning, right. And preparing, um, the better off you're going to be. So, I'm excited, man. Uh, I think this is going to be a a good year. I know that there's going to be a lot of unexpected things that pop up here and there. Um, there's already been several of those so far and most seasons haven't even started yet, but I really appreciate you hopping on, taking the time out of your drive to chat with me. And I'm, I'm also really excited to hear how your fishing trip went with your son when you're all done. Dan, I appreciate you having me, and I uh,
1: apologize if I had any technical or audio issues, issues for your audience. Uh, but I do appreciate the opportunity to connect, and, and uh, hopefully this will be helpful to those that were listening. And, and again, hopefully they can take advantage of what's in, the, what's in the book.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we'll see you in Louisville in like a week and a half. At
1: Send It Slam. Yeah,
0: I may, I may have to stop by for sure.
1: Yeah, uh, th- That not, sounds like I a mean- good time.
0: I'll be there the night before and I'll be heading out the next morning probably but we'll have to get together at some point while I'm there. That sounds good. I like that. All right, man. Drive safe and let me know how it goes. We'll do. Thanks, and Dan. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. It's always a good time chatting with Jacob and best of luck on his fishing trip with his son. I'm excited to see how that goes and to hear all the stories and get the pictures. But if you're like me, and sometimes you're on top of it, and sometimes you procrastinate. Do yourself a favor and start getting your gear together now if you haven't already. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait until the week before. If you've got a big hunt coming up, or really any season, you should be shooting your bow right now. You should be making sure you don't need to purchase anything that's gonna hold you back from hunting if it doesn't come in on time. Um, There's a lot of things that we can be doing all year long to make sure we're ahead of the game or ahead of the ball or on top of the ball. I don't know how do you want to say that, but to just make sure we're fully prepared so that we can have the most success out there and so that we can not only enjoy our time, but hopefully connect with an animal because everybody wants to go out there and have fun and just screw around and hang out with their friends. But at the end of the day, there's nothing like coming back with the story of your first bull elk with a bow or your first mule deer that you got with a rifle. And so do everything you can, because these opportunities may not be around forever. They may not come every year for you. They may not come every five years for you. So whatever you do, set yourself up for success before season starts. So thanks, Jacob, for hopping on. And everybody go check out his book. Go Follow him on social media. See the animals that he's taken. It's pretty impressive. And until next time, get out there and chase a new adventure.